Matthew 25 and verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who, is called, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, another one to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. And look, I've gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful. Over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came, and said, Lord, I knew you to be, King James says, a hard man, difficult. This is what the servant said. Reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness there will be weeping gnashing of teeth
God has given to each of us many, quote-unquote, talents. The talents originally would talk about money and weight or sum of money. But for us, these are the blessings. God has given us all kinds of blessings. And these blessings are given to us with a certain end in mind from the Almighty God. Whatever blessing he has given, he has given the blessings looking for a return. We're free to ask for blessings and receive blessings and enjoy blessings. But how many times have we considered that God is looking for a return on what he has loaned us or given us? And the Lord makes it clear many times in many ways that he would look for faithfulness regarding the things that he has given us. For us to comprehend that fully, we need to first of all understand the nature of blessings and the amount of blessings he's given us and then understand what he's looking for in the way we handle those blessings. We can look at this in a very general way or generic way and go away from this passage or this sermon little to no impact in our spiritual lives or we can receive what the Spirit of God has for us to cause us to be among those people who are actually commended by the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who are able to make his heart glad that he ever gave the talents or blessings to them in the first place. And with it, there's a tangible reward that he has for those who have used the blessings, held the blessings, multiplied the blessings, proving their faithfulness. It's their duty. It's the privilege for each one of us because, first and foremost, God has taken hands that were defiled with sin, hearts that were darkened with much evil against him. As the Bible declares, we're all enemies of God. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. When we confess our sins to him and we profess that Jesus Christ is our Lord, he takes the liar and he turns the liar into a truthful person. But before he can do that, he has to forgive the liar of the lies. We all have been living a lie without Jesus. But he has forgiven us. Has he not? He's forgiven us more than we can actually fathom how good he is. How great he is. He takes the liar, forgives the liar of all of those lying words slander, gossip. In one stroke of infinite mercy, he takes the guilt 
and the penalty of lying and living a lie. And he forgives us. That we can start over. Hallelujah. He's able to then transform the former liar into a truth seeker and a truth speaker. God is able to do God is wonderful. The Lord takes a schemer and he forgives the schemer of all of the wickedness and imaginations. How many of us have imagined evil things in our past? In whatever degree, the things were not correct in the sight of God. We use the gift of imagination, the gift of life and breadth, and ability to think in an evil way. And God has taken a schemer and forgiven the schemer of all the wicked schemes and imaginations. All of the evil dealings and maliciousness and trickery, sleight of hand and deception, scheming devices that were not pleasing to God. Man, woman and child. And to the one who comes to the Lord and confesses his sins, receives God's mercy through the blood of Jesus, he forgives all the former scheming. It's enough to make a shout hallelujah from the highest mountain forever. The judge of all the earth, as Abraham said, and as we know him, and Abraham also, the judge of the universe, has taken the sentence away. We don't have to serve the time. We don't have to be sent to the lake of fire because he's forgiven us of all the scheming. God has taken that schemer and turned that schemer into a person who is able to think God's thoughts in a pure way, in an innocent way. No more maliciousness, but a blameless life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The criminal is now turned into a person that's known in the Bible as a Christian. A person who follows in the very path of Jesus, thinking like Jesus, speaking like Jesus, and doing like Jesus. The schemer is transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit to become a person who now thinks in a blameless way. In a way that Creator God has given the ability to find ways in which to be good and do good as opposed to what was happening before. The genuine conversion from death to life, darkness to light. He takes the pretender, the hypocrite, and he completely takes the guilt of those 101 masks that are carried on to deceive people while deceiving himself or herself. To know the weight of what God has done is first to know the weight of what we've been involved in. 
to forget what God has delivered us from and feel very lighthearted about it is to actually despise the riches of His grace and the responsibility and accountability we have to treat God's great gift of forgiving us from pretension, from pretense, from being hypocritical. He's taken the guilt away. He's turned us into sincere and faithful people. Once again, harmless. It's very, very great. The Lord says in the prophets that he took a person, namely Israel, the nation, as an individual, bloodied up, left a child that's been abandoned, a baby, a newborn baby, full of blood, covered with filth. And it was the Father who came along, the living God, stooped down and picked up each one of us in our filth, washed us, washed us, lovingly clothed us, and then decked us with his jewelry, made us his own. This news in Christ is the good news. So we have been called away from tremendous darkness, and because God has both forgiven us, spared us the penalty, which is eternal damnation, He's also given us out of His grace treasures, blessings after blessings. Blessings innumerable, and they keep coming. But with everything, God is holy and wise. He watches carefully to see how we handle it. And how many of us can say we have utterly failed the Lord in the way we've handled tremendous blessings He's given us? There needs to be a sense of deep regret, tremendous remorse, because we're not only wasting the Master's goods, His blessings, we have ended up denying Him when we are selfish, independent, arrogant, going back to our old ways. But the person who's reminded by the Holy Spirit of the depth, the breadth, the width, and the height of God's love is deeply touched. There's a tremendous resolve. There's a voice that comes from deep inside of them. It says, I can't do this anymore. I will not waste what God has given me. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 25 brings it out even clearer. He says, in proportion to how you've been blessed and entrusted by God, each one of us, if we were to write down on a piece of paper this morning, the things that God has given us, no man, no person gave us, certainly not the devil, but God, the blessings innumerable that he's given us, then we would never stop. We would not be able to stop writing. In the light of that, if we would start with one or two things that we know God has given us freely by His immense grace, and we take just one or two of those multitudes of blessings and analyze how we've treated those blessings, whether we have handled them according to God's will or not, 
The Lord said there's a reward. Again, Revelation 20 to 12, we see. It says, and behold, I come quickly. And my pay, that's what the reward is, wages. He said, I have a paycheck for everyone. I have the pay. Payback. I have the wages. According to what each one has done. But what can we do unless we're given something to do? What can we bring up before the Lord and say, I've handled such and such, such this way unless we've been given something in the first place? The people who didn't have a job were called by that landowner to come and work. And according to their labor, they were rewarded. God has given each one of us not only a high calling in Christ Jesus, but within that calling, multitudes of blessings. If we take just one or two, and we take the time pushing everything away because this concerns God and His mercy on us and eternity. And we see just how we have treated God's blessing and whether we have multiplied what He's given us. Very significant obligation that every believer has and the church at large, most people don't even understand, much less take the time. Because God apparently expects us to think on these things. Because unless we are conscientious and deliberate and intentional in knowing the truth about the blessings of God and our responsibility, we won't care to really multiply them. They handle them properly. The first thing that needs to be done is to make sure we have a heart of gratitude. God has touched my life. He didn't have to. I could have been one of those other people who have gone from one bad state to another and worse and worse and worse. They don't know how to get out. They can't get out. What makes us different? The grace of God and only the grace of God. But once the grace has been given, with that dispensation of grace, God's looking to see how we handle it. Are we, are we back to lying, scheming, being hypocrite? Is it even a question that should be asked of Christians? Is it offensive? Is it, does it seem out of place? Before we can ever talk about talents, accountability, responsibility, and multiplying those talents to make sure that we're not drinking and swearing and lying and cheating. And that's why the Bible always begins with checking the heart for any wickedness. It's no use talking about ministry, talking about what God is doing in my life and how great it is if I'm pretending. But once we deal with those things, now we're able to come to Matthew 25 and understand about this responsibility and accountability. It's a spectacular thing when we realize that 
it's not just a matter of my number is going to be called and I have to answer to God, but I have a tremendous potential to multiply the blessings of God to make my father's heart glad at the same time receive in proportion to how I've handled his blessings in a very sincere way in a very diligent way intentional way to do it for his glory that I'm not going to hold it and hide it and bury it and blame God for why it didn't work out why I couldn't invest but to the contrary able to rejoice and say Father thank you I thank you Lord you put me in this you put me in this race thank you Lord how many people would like to be on that all star team in baseball at least you have those two leagues and there's a selection process how many would have a sour face if they were selected? Or to go to the Olympics, to be on that team of all teams, to go to the height of potential and prosperity. How many would say, oh, there goes another responsibility? It's like with children. There's some people who, Christians I've heard, sad to say, when they hear there's another child on the way, it wasn't planned, it he or she, that is. It's creation of God. Married couples. It wasn't planned, this pregnancy. And uh, immediately, they begin to be very, very discouraged and upset even. Angry even. Because now, you have an addition to the two or three you already have. And it's another hungry mouth to feed. Now, as we walk with the Lord and we're in the Word of God and we're led by His Spirit, we'll see that not only as a tragedy, but it's a gross misrepresentation of the whole Christian life because of an ignorance, willful, many times of the Word of God, the children are a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift, a reward from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Happy is the man that had this quiver full of them. Yes, it requires godliness to have those promises, to have the blessings, the fruit of that initial blessing. Children are given to multiply God's kingdom. Happy is the parent that has the child, the parent who knows the Lord, the child who's raised in the ways of the Lord. But much like that person or the parent who would immediately become downcast and say things that are incorrect and unjust before the Lord, treating the blessing as a curse. So who would think that it's fine if God has called us and said to us, here, take this one talent. Here, take these two talents. Here. Wouldn't we be so thankful with everything God gives that presupposes that we understand that it is God that is giving us every blessing and with the blessing God wants us to be grateful so to be grateful is what we don't see 
is gratefulness. There's an absence of that in that last individual who made the silly excuses, demonic excuses for why he couldn't multiply the talent, the blessing given to him. If we write the blessings, they would never end. In such manner has the Lord blessed us, each one of us. But with every blessing, he's looking for a return, rightly so, because he's wise, he's holy. There's no wastage in his kingdom. And so God, out of the goodness of his heart, has looked at me, who doesn't deserve the least of his mercies, not the least, looked at you in the same way, because he loves us. He has hope that we will do the right thing. Because he loves you and loves me, God has faith that my child will use this in the right way. And so when it doesn't happen, it's a tremendous scandal in the universe. Because the God of the universe has come to me, who is less than a speck in the universe, loved me, given me life, and said, here, in your hands I'm giving you my treasure of blessings. Now what these blessings are, are as varied as the treasures and pleasures in God's kingdom. God has given us so many things. The gift of this day is for us to hold it sacred. And when we understand these things, there's something that happens on the inside. We become very aware of the majesty and the nearness of God's presence. And we become careful in the way we treat God's gift of life today. There's a conviction that I need to say the words that please my Father. I need to treat people the way my Father wants me to treat them. I need to cherish the relationship I have with my Lord to make sure nothing will come and distract me from my inward communication with Him. This blessing, what do I do with the gift of life? God says, when you labor at something, you work at something, do it with everything that's within you. The best of your ability. Knowing that, even though you may have a human boss, a supervisor, a company you work for, whatever it is, there's an ultimate reward from God. Even the labor we do that seems to be menial, in some cases, God says there's a reward. If he said it, he must mean it. There's some reward he's going to give to the person who just does chores. But does it honoring the Lord and saying, Father, you give me fingers at work. How many people don't have fingers at work? The nerves are shooting every which way and they're not able to hold even a cup. How many people cannot breathe? I remember when I was stricken with asthma, anything would set me off. A little dust in the carpet. There was no peace. It was misery, day and night. Misery after misery. To the point where I wonder, why was I born? Why am I alive? Why are other people able to breathe and I can't do even the basic things? And when the attacks came in full force, really, despair set in. Sometimes it takes us to see the other side all over again. Where we've been and where other people still are. To say, Father, thank you. Oh, my God. 
I know, as I think what that place is to be like, oh Jesus, full of fear, full of anxiety, full of failure. And God has taken all of it away and I have joy and peace. What am I going to do with the joy and peace in the life? How do I expand God's kingdom? First of all, whatever we have to do today, God wants us to do it to the best of our ability, thanking Him, having the heart of gratitude. When we do that, we'll be in a position where God Himself, by His Holy Spirit, seeing the state of our heart and attitude, will help us to multiply His kingdom. There's a Jewish merchant the turn of the 20th century. He got born again miraculously as an Orthodox Jew. And in his little store, he would do his work, make sure he was a good worker before the Lord. And also, God would present many opportunities to give the word, and he would fearlessly do it. At the ridicule and ostracization of fellow Jews who knew him to be a traitor because he believed in Jesus. But God grew him and grew his family and grew it into a powerful organization that spreads the gospel to Jews even to this day. How God has great plans for us and how he wants to multiply. He will help us to multiply if we have that sincere humility to understand where he took us from and how today is a gift from him. Even if we have pain, we need to thank the Lord because He will bring us out of it. He's a good Father. He says, by your faith, you receive the deliverance. But be sincere. Hold on to integrity even through the suffering and do what you're supposed to do. So in the menial things, and the routine things, we can have gratitude to God and thank Him and expect Him to have His hand over our hand. And everything we do, help us to multiply for His kingdom he himself will make the avenues open up where we can multiply the talents he's given us. Many times we think of the talents as ministry gifts. Certainly they're included under that umbrella. Every blessing is a wealth, is a sum of gift or gifts from God's hands. And God will see, I gave you health. What are you doing with it? Are you using your health to multiply my kingdom and glorify me? Why should God give me health and not another? Why should I have the quality of life? Even if I'm suffering, even if I don't have full health, certainly I have enough health to be awake and alert this morning to hear his word, how great our God is. David said, Lord, when I consider the sum of your blessings is too much, too much, Lord, the number is too much for me. What does that do to me and to you? It makes us to be in awe of our Father. His love is so powerful. Because of that love, we have that understanding that God expects me to bring forth a return. He's not a hard person. He's the most loving, gentle person in the universe. He is. We just have to look at how he dealt with his own people, even with his enemies when they repented. 
at his people outside of Israel. His eyes are always on every nation, every tribe, every culture. Even though he handpicked Abraham and saw him to be faithful and trustworthy, and he made a nation out of him, through him, God's intention from the beginning, as we know, was to bless every nation. Because God loves all people. But they've chosen darkness, and we used to be among them. How great his love is, that we can say, Lord, I want to use what you've given me to bring honor to you. And Lord, you're looking for return? Oh God, I'm trusting you to help me to multiply what you've given into my hands. That means the breath that he's given, the energy and the help, I will use it to spread his love and to spread his truth. Wherever I'm placed, there's a, a, a recognition and a awareness all over again at how good he's been to me and how I have to be very, very conscientious of that blessing and when my heart is full of thanksgiving before the Lord I'll be in the right place for him to multiply help me to multiply the talents we know by now every time God says you do something it is our responsibility he won't do it for us but our father is so loving he will always be there to help us to get the job done I have never heard in all of my studies in religion, ancient and modern religions, different sects of different faiths, quote-unquote, never come across anyone like the living God. In any literature, any creed, any tenet of any religion, there's no one like the living God. His love is all-powerful. And He changes us from the inside out. And he instructs us, and his instructions are so vital and important to us that the more we hear them, and the more we take the time to meditate on them, and we pray and we talk to God over that very word, God will actually make the word to work in our lives. We'll be stepping to another level. And this business of talents, we want to be certainly among the class of servants that have produced a return before the Lord, by whose grace we're able to do anything to begin with, and have Him be happy. Didn't God make us happy? Did He have to make us joyful? Did He have to take away our tears? He's the one that wipes away our tears, takes our sorrow away. He's a good Father. Now can we do the same for Him when He's grieved over so many? On this planet, we're abusing His grace. Can we vow before the Lord in keeping with His commandments? Lord, I'll never hurt you again. Imagine if a human being says that. A person has come to a point where they recognize, you know, I haven't been what I should be to my loved ones. It's a lot of hurt that has happened because of me. That realization, what a treasure. What a turning point. And a person for some people, it comes in full force in a single moment. And they're able to be decisive enough with the integrity that no matter what happens to me, whether I live or die, I will never, ever betray my spouse. I will never, ever betray my child, my parent, my loved one. I will never, ever betray my employer. It has come to me, this conviction, how good he's been to me or she's been to me, and look what I've done. Less than a perfect job. 
those who have done even worse things. If the conviction should come, there are certain people, based on that single conviction, there's a 180-degree change from that moment on in that area. For others, it works in them every time God brings a conviction and they finally get to that point. Hallelujah. Now, how about it when it comes to God? Lord, I am able to understand more that when I do things that are displeasing to you, I'm hurting you, Lord, because you had such high hopes for me. I thank you for the provision that when I come to you and confess, even if the hurt I've rendered to you is deep, that you're able to forgive me instantly. And Lord, you have a new outlook again over me. You're able to rejoice over me with singing because it's brand new again. The power and potency of the blood of Jesus, your son, is good for me today to promise I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of hurting God for all he's done for me. I've been independent in this area, that area, or a whole lot of areas. I've done things that I thought would please me and not God. These are some of the things that happens in a person's spirit when the Spirit of God is bringing conviction and they have a choice to make. There's, a, there's an emotional pressure that comes because God is a person and the hurt is real and the betrayal is real. And we look at Him and we cry out to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. I don't ever want to hurt you, Lord. Imagine hurting God. They hurt the Lord. There's an article Lord gave me grace to write years ago about the passion of the Christ. I'm not sure if I included it there, but at some point I wrote this or preached this. That innocent human being, the precious, beautiful, majestic, holy Jesus Christ, would anyone dare to put their hand on him? Much less slap the face of the God-man and pluck out his beard, punch him, blindfold him and do it, whip him, take those crude thorns and press it into his skull. All of these things are hurting the degree we can't comprehend and the weight of sins. God knows what it means to be hurt. Terribly hurt. In fact, God has experienced the worst hurt of all. And His love is able to love through the hurt and through the hate. Now what do we do? with the extent of that kind of love that's come to us, can we be sensitive and say, Father, you've been hurt enough. I've hurt you by doing things that are against your holy nature. By partnering with the devil. I've been a liar and schemer, Lord, a pretender, hypocrite. See, unless we come to that and realize the depths of our sin, we'll be like that person who came to the temple and said, Lord, I fast. 
twice a week. I pay my tithes and not like this guy. Oh, look at him. What kind of Christian is he? It's tremendous arrogance. We need to just keep our eyes on ourselves. Make sure we're right before the Lord and then we can see clearly the world around us. But God's concerned. He says, your own soul, if you're going to multiply the blessings, you need to focus on you in my presence. Then we won't fall and also we won't fail in producing the desired result. So we have an opportunity to be the people who recognize how great God's love has been dispensed to us. How great of a measure has been dispensed to us. We deserve the exact opposite. We deserve jail. Immersed in jail. Eternal lockup. Burning hell. Which will be thrown into a burning lake of fire. In the book of Isaiah, it says, I saw the bodies of those who were sent there. The smoke of the torment, the fire, it doesn't stop. God spared us from that. When people are spared from going to jail, when they're standing in the courtroom and they know they deserve to go to jail, the heart is beating, the anxiety is there, and their paper shuffled and whisperings here and across the room and their fate, their destiny. For what? For the next year? Three years? Five years? For some lifetime? Hell is far worse. Every one of us deserves to go there forever. God brought us out. For what life? To be a busybody? To be arrogant? To be selfish? That's why the appeal of the Apostle Paul by the Spirit of God is in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's something that's expected. Within that scope, we see Jesus in Matthew 25 saying that don't focus on the guy that was miserable and still a liar, a schemer, and a pretender. He abused the grace that was given to him. He might have changed in some things, maybe, but he said, you can't be my Lord. You see, in essence, he was calling Jesus Lord, if you will, at the same time denying his lordship through his actions. He didn't bother. He was lazy. The Lord says, not only wicked, he says, you lazy servant. Wicked and lazy. Would Jesus have this parable recorded, which he spoke, for us to read so that we can just cover up wicked and lazy and say, well, that doesn't concern me? Or could it be that we need to actually look a little closely at that, closer? Say, am I part of these categories? Am I defiant? Am I arrogant? Is it pride? He can actually say that to the one who gave him in good faith the blessing to multiply. We go beyond that and the focus should be, hopefully, on the people who 
were rewarded. And in that class, just like the 30, 1600, who'll go to the head of the class? Who'll be chosen for the Olympic team or the all, all-star team? Who'll be chosen to represent the school in the intercollegiate math Olympics or whatever they have, whatever category, invention of the year, contest? Who would like to represent their nation with the potential of international fame? The world knows. They know how. Many, many people who don't know God, Jesus said the children of this world are wiser than the children of light when it comes to money. They know exactly where to cast the lot. They know how to invest. They know how. Very shrewd. They know when they talk to people, Time is money, so at the end of this conversation, I better get something out of it. There are people who are very wise in that regard. But Jesus said, alas, the children of the kingdom, they're not so smart. You see, God expects us to love him with all the heart, with all the mind, with all the soul, with all the strength. So it's a wonderful thing for us to hear the word of God and really think about me. You think about you. And because one day I'm not going to stand there with the church or even my wife or closest Christian brother or mentor, whoever it is, it's going to be one-on-one, one-on-one. God's going to see exactly the gifts he gave me. It's a dreadful thing to come up short on that day, to be weighed in the balance and found lacking or wanting. But we have an opportunity through the Holy Spirit to reassess and say, Father, I want to be I want to make you happy, Lord. Oh, I want to see joy in the face of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I want him to bless me even more because he wants to do it. It's not selfish or greediness. God says, I want to do this for you. I'm longing for people who I can bless, people who are trustworthy, people who are humble and not arrogant and independent from me. When I say that I'm the Lord of your time, I want people who will yield to that and not Fight for their time. And that's just when I come to people and say, I'm the Lord of your money. I want people who say, yes, Lord. Everything comes from you, as David said. Anything I can give comes from God first of all. Everything is from Him. I don't want people to say, no. I'm going to be a miser. I'm going to be stingy. I'm going to do what I want. I will pick and choose. I don't need God's help in this. When God comes and says, I'm the Lord of your relationships, oh God, that's a very, very difficult thing for many people. And God says, I want you to be kind. The Christians will say, oh, I know that verse, I can quote it. But it's like saying sorry is very difficult for some people to be kind and to sit and think, what have I done? It's very hard and difficult for people. If there's a problem, what have I done? Have I done anything in this situation? Immediately they give themselves a passing mark. Nope, it's the other person's fault. Maybe when we stand before God, God will say, both of you are at fault. What do we do then? Should we wait for judgment day? It'll be too late. We should be very sober and say, Lord, if I have an opportunity to correct all my failures, and be well-pleasing to you. Oh, Father, who am I? When we realize how little we are, 
will have the ability to receive God's grace to do what we thought we couldn't do or didn't want to do. There'll be a change, beautiful transformation. We'll literally be acting like sheep. We'll be able to follow the shepherd. Good sheep. The Lord Jesus says, I'm the Lord of everything. Am I? Does your action match your profession? Your confession? That means, if God speaks to me when I am hearing a sermon like this, if God speaks to me when I'm reading the Word, or when the Spirit of God brings conviction, when I'm doing something totally different in my day-to-day routine, if God speaks to me through other people, I know there's a there's an alarm going off that this is not an ordinary thing. God is speaking to me. At that point, do I grab it and humbly say, Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What good is life if I can't hear God and do His will? It's useless. It's in vain. No matter what I can enjoy, I can buy a brand new pair of sneakers, get the top of the line, I can visit the place that people long to visit and I can dine at the finest restaurant and I can get a whole group of friends that love me, adore me, they won't be present anywhere, anytime. Like Babylon in Revelation, it'll be burned in a matter of moments. It'll be gone. It's all fake. But the person who takes God's blessings, every one of them takes the time to count the blessings. They're deeply moved and their hearts to recognize, oh, Father, you've been so good to me. You know, it can actually bring tears to your eyes. It can break you up completely. It may break up your whole routine for the day. It's okay. Because this is life, the real life. To get to a point where I'm able to walk humbly with God and love Him and take every blessing as a treasure and say, Father, I want to please you and will you Help me multiply the breath you've given me back in my lungs. Jesus, it's about you and your kingdom. What other reason do I have to live? For me? For the world? Even for family, it's through the Lord's grace. And what good is living for family? Some people slave over providing for their families. One, two, three jobs. And they don't have to. But it's to provide the things. It's like the man that came from Home Depot many years ago when we lived at another house to do some tile work. Seemed to be a nice man. He had another business and a cell phone, cell phone business and he was doing this here and he was getting different perks here and there. Hardworking man. And on his day off he came over to do the tile work. And as I was talking to him, this was many, many years ago, I was sharing the gospel and he said, you know, sometimes I get angry, so angry, he said, I, I, can, I can have a heart attack. So the doctor told me, he said, I, I just can't control it. But I love my wife and my daughter, but they don't do right by me. He said, I slave, I give them everything they want. I have no time for myself. He said, they don't trust me. And he was hurting. What good is it? Well, what good is it even if they appreciate it and they treat the man like a king? The life is so short, isn't it? 
Many people in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s, they say, where did the years go? What happened? At one time, it seemed to be slow. I was looking for my 23rd birthday, and it seemed like 23 would take forever. All of a sudden, it went from 23 to 40, and then 70. Here I'm at 90. There's some things that are beyond our comprehension, even time. Because there's a divine will involved. There's a divine call to accountability for every human being. The sand that will fall through in that hourglass, there is a termination. At that point, we can't go back and start the clock over. How much more for the believer to say, Lord, I don't ever want to hurt you again. Lord, I don't want to betray you. Oh God, you give me another chance. Lord, I want to do right by you. Help me to treat people the way you want me to, Lord. And have the satisfaction not to put on a show. Really from the heart, say more than money, more than my comfort is to please my Father and to love Him and people. That's the essence of life. That's the essence of life. If I fail at that, I failed in everything. And the worst thing is for a Christian to ignore that. Knock on the heart from the Holy Spirit to turn our attention once more to God, this time for good. And even vow if we have to. This vow is not wrong. It's in accordance with God's scripture. In fact, we shouldn't have to make it, but some people, they need to because they keep toying with God's commandments. They flip back and forth with wanting to serve God and being excited and then doing wrong in His sight. We want to be that man that multiplied and produced the most talents. Can we? There's no quota in the kingdom of God, such as in this world. Only, only the first 500 eligible. I'm sorry. Nice try, but that guy made 10 talents in total. Uh, that, that slot is closed. I'm sorry. You get the next best, which is four. And after a certain time, you know what? Only a thousand people eligible. The Lord just closed the door. I'm sorry. I got the wire. You got the message. You can only be among the two-talent crowd. You're going to get a lot less. But hey, you can get in and, you know, it's not going to be the greatest. But every one of us are eligible. Because in God's economy, according to His power and the generosity of His heart, His love, every one of us can be among the hundred fruit-producing servant with ten talents. But you see, the pathway to that has been traced first and foremost. We need to come to an understanding of what God has done for us. It, it'll just arrest you. It'll make you dumbfounded. It'll make you be in awe. Daniel was on all fours. when the angel came, the presence and power and the majesty of the angel, do you think that he would have understood his place in eternity? Absolutely. More than ever. Even that righteous man. John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, same thing. But we have a glorious visitation this morning because the veil is being lifted off. There's a freedom 
to be in the green pasture beside the still waters. Say, Father, there's a harmony as a sheep with a shepherd. There's a beautiful harmony. My Father provides everything I need to be healthy, strong, productive. I'm grateful to the Lord. And the other thing is, I don't want to hurt the Lord. I don't want to despise what He's given me. I need to take time, meditate, which means to mull over, chew on that. Let it be digested. Let every part of that come into our system so that there's a change in the direction of the way we treat the living God, the way we treat people. If there needs to be tears and repentance, it must happen. Otherwise, we can't go forward. Some of the people who are very self-righteous for a long time, they got saved, but they've held on, reverted back. And everybody's wrong except them. That's the way they see the world. Suddenly something happens, something tremendous. That self-righteous person breaks down like a baby. But I'm so sorry. I was on this false high. I wasn't really obeying you, Lord. And I was attending the meetings, I was doing things, but there were parts in my heart that were not surrendered. How can I ever produce a return for you, Lord? I've actually damaged your kingdom. You see? There's another parable. The Lord said the guy wasted the master's goods. God wants us to shine for him. He says, occupy till I come. You have a station. You have a place I've placed you. Where you are. Feel my love. And keep my word. And no matter what job you're doing, where you are, I will make sure. I will give you everything you need to produce a return for the kingdom. And it's not just to use you. That's not our Father is. He's a giver. He's a loving Father. He says, I will bless you much more. I will hand over to you much more. Glory be to God. Before we pray, I'm just going to reflect on the word God gave us.